Hello everybody, here's Robert Faustmann speaking. I'm the director of the office of the Friedrich Ebert Foundation here in Cyprus. Um, with me is uh, Rishab uh, Sandilia, he's the co-founder and head of Project Venus, our partner in a series of 10 episodes uh, uh, of, a, uh, of a series of podcasts on migration. We call it Migration 2.0. Said it's the 10th episode is our annual review. We look back of what we have achieved, transmitted, uh, and hopefully um, enlighten people as far as this, con uh, this topic of migration in Cyprus and the region and beyond is concerned. It's Migration 2.0. This podcast, is, as I said, is a collaboration between Fest Cyprus and Project Phoenix. Project Phoenix is a migrant-led European NGO and social enterprise which is dedicated to systemic change of the inclusion ecosystems. It's currently running a pilot project in Cyprus. Its programming involves an intensive fellowship program, innovative partnerships with other organizations and NGOs, and advocacy based on transdisciplinary systemic research. And that's not all. Yeah? But in this, show, in this show, we will explore issues related to migration through multiple lenses, as we've done all year. By amplifying migrant voices and shedding light on migration issues, we hope to promote inclusion, highlight the diversity of migrant experiences, and humanize migrants by including and centralizing their voices in the discourse. Richard, very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Robert. Always a pleasure to be here with you. And I think we've really enjoyed the last uh, year of covering migration in the region. Today, as part of our yearly review, we're switching things around. And instead of a guest, it's going to be uh, Hubert and myself talking about what happened in migration in Cyprus, uh, how it relates uh, to the Cyprus conflict and what we can you know, maybe expect in 2022. Great. Let's start with numbers from a, from a statistical perspective. Can you give us a quick overview of where things stand as far as applications are concerned, decisions, demographics, issues like this? Thanks, Hubert. I think it's really interesting. Um, and this year, for the first time, I, I will be willing to understand uh, the Cypriot government's stance of this being a migration crisis. I don't think it's really a crisis, but I do think for the first time we've seen the demographic nature and flow of asylum seekers coming into Cyprus change. And I say this simply because in the past, for, for a long time, most of the asylum-seeking applications were made within the country. So you had uh, students, people who were here on work visas, uh, switching status by applying for asylum, and that kind of skewed the figures. So from in the past, when the government was talking about a migration crisis, it was self-made from the lack of a clear immigration system. Uh, but now for the first time, we have a, a fairly large increase in numbers of people coming in across the Greenland from the north. Um, as of the end of November, and these are official government figures, we have approximately 12,000 people who've, uh, who've uh, entered and applied for asylum, who've applied for asylum this year, out of which 85% have crossed the Green Line. So it's a significant number uh, and shift in terms of where the applications uh, are coming from. The other, I would say, good news, but we have to take this in, a, in, in, in some sort of measure, is that the, unit, the ministry has significantly uh, sped up its process of delivering decisions. So. Again, looking at figures here, they say that they delivered 50, almost 14,780 uh, decisions in, in 2021, which was compared to you know, 6,500, give or take, and 5,000 in 2019. So significantly increasing the speed of making decisions. But uh, when the numbers are rising, it's clear that the numbers of, of decisions are not rising simultaneously. This is always going to be a gap uh, and an issue. And we have quite a few thousand pending cases um, still being heard. The other major issue I think is that we, you know, we've all been talking about in terms of numbers is the uh, sheer number of people currently housed in the Punara 
camp or the Punara Refugee Center. Um, its capacity is approximately between 600 to 800, and as of today, it's 2,500. Uh, and earlier this month, we had a number of members of parliament visit Punara to sort of see the conditions there. Uh, and what they found there was absolutely shocking. In very, very poor levels of hygiene, people sleeping on the floor, on cardboard boxes, and, and, and perhaps most alarmingly so, the fact that there's about 287 unaccompanied minors, um, so basically under the age of 18, but also you know mostly between the ages of 15 and 17, who were who were being housed together with the general population, which is you know very, which is massively alarming. So I think this is a this is the statistics. Um, Overview, uh, again, the government's been out there putting out and saying things like the number of people or the percentage of applicants uh, for international protection. So the, the, the combined number of refugees who've been granted uh, international protection and uh, asylum seekers and such today is 4% uh, of the population of the country, which is, again, a significant shift uh, from you know the, the rest of Europe where it's about 1%, 1.5%. But again, let's take these figures with a pinch of salt because a lot of these numbers are also people who applied in the past who were essentially here on student visas who switched, who switched to applying for asylum. So uh, that's the current overview in 2021. What were the major events in and around the region that affected the migration flow and triggered also this change in direction of where migration is coming from? Is this also affected by developments on the island? That's really interesting, and that's actually one of my questions for you, Robert. But we'll come back to that. Uh, but I'm going to try and look back over the year and try and do this chronologically. So... I think in December, we've had two major things. We've had the Pope uh, visit Cyprus and very symbolically took uh, 50 people back to the Vatican and the first, first group just left yesterday, uh, including the two Cameroonians who were stranded on the Green Line uh, outside the Home for Cooperation in the buffer zone. So they had been there for six months and then there was this, they would be really stuck in this tussle between the Greek Cypriots and the Turkish Cypriots about you know, their, their status and what was happening to them. Plus, he took some other people from, from the jails who had been charged with illegally crossing uh, the Philippine line. So that was the first major move in December. We had the MP visit to the Bonara camp. And so I think it's now coming out much more in the open that, that the status of the camp, the fact that there's just not enough infrastructure here. People are being housed in inhumane conditions. Uh, but the government is, is, is struggling to cope with this, with this influx. And I think uh, we might have scenes that, like we saw last year. Uh, when in the winter there was just not enough warm clothing and things to go around. So uh, that's something to be worried about. And then throughout the extended Cyprus summer, which I would say is from May to October, November, I think the major story there was boat pushbacks um, and the controversial nature of these pushbacks. I know Polyphys did an expose on, on what, you know, how the government was, was holding boats from Lebanon and Syria on, on the water, not letting them, you know, giving them some essential supplies, but letting them sort of bake in the sun for two or three days before releasing them and sending them back to Lebanon again in inhuman conditions. Uh, uh, so really, the, the story there is that the government has in place uh, a number of readmission agreements with Lebanon. So it's used those to push back uh, boats that have arrived from Lebanon, mostly consisting of Lebanese Syrian uh, asylum seekers. The uh, There's been a couple of uh, other stories around that. Um, we had a very interesting story of how a boat was in the Paphos Harbor and was being held there and then managed to escape when the, when the Coast Guard was not looking and tried to escape uh, towards Italy. And then I think there was a, there's also another couple of boats that have come and, and you know, managed to make it past Cyprus and then go on towards, towards Italy. So it's very clear that you don't want to be uh, in Cyprus. So I think that's been the major story with the pushbacks. And we have the story of the, of the, of the unfortunate incident with the, with the Syrian 
female asylum seeker who was separated from her family and then had to give birth here, uh, and then is now living in Kofinu, but has not been allowed to uh, reunite with her husband and her children who've been, who were on the same boat, but then sent back, but she was allowed to, to stay in Cyprus. Um, so we've had that. Uh, a couple of other issues we've seen um, uh, emerges, and I think this will come up as a question, is the idea that the, the, the green line or migration is now formalizing the green line as a border, uh, a hard border, because the, the government uh, in the South and the Republic is now you know, putting up barbed wire fences uh, ostensibly to keep migrants out, and, and you've just paid for a multi-million dollar drone contract with the Israelis to, to sort of monitor the green line. Uh, so that is an interesting question, how that sort of ties into the Cyprus conflict uh, and should, should come up. Finally, we have the new national plan on, on integration released. Um, it's supposed to basically the document be the document that the state will reference uh, when it designs projects for migrant integration between 2021 and 2027. But we're yet to hear how that's going to be, you know, actually executed and what's going to come come off that. So it's been a really interesting year in Cyprus, uh, and I think there's been some other uh, more slightly more alarming developments more than just the facts. I think in terms of hardening of the stance. Uh, of the people, of the politicians, uh, increasing moves towards right-wing rhetoric against migrants. I think that's something we'll talk about uh, going forward. Unfortunately, COVID is still with us. I mean, FES and Project Phoenix did already report on the impact of COVID and the situation of migrants and asylum seekers in Cyprus, published a while ago. What has happened since? By the way, you can find, of course, the report on both of our websites. Yeah, this is interesting. And to be honest, this, this aspect actually deserves a whole new study. But it's always a question of time. Just again, this is now more of a personal observation and conversations on the ground rather than anything scientific. Just keeping a finger on the pulse. I think in terms of, you know, we highlighted a couple of areas in which the COVID impact was more felt on migrants and asylum seekers. In terms of jobs and the economy, which is the core thing, I think in terms of jobs, there's relative good news here. There's been a, there's been a pretty strong recovery bounce back across, um, across Europe. Again, with a, pinch of, with a little bit of a pinch of assault here because a lot of migrants outside Nicosia worked in hotels and sort of tourist-based industries on the seaside, which had had a bit of a recovery in the summer, but now look like they're sort of dying out again in the winter with the Omicron virus, so we don't know what's going to happen there. But in general, I think they're back to they're back to being financially better off than they were uh, during, during the crisis itself. And there's a lot of like sort of, they work irregularly, a lot of them, so all those construction and labor jobs are back on, back on the market. Again, the major issue here is the COVID safe pass, and there's a huge digital divide, which we'll talk about. Uh, a little bit as well. Uh, in terms of vaccines, I think this is also really interesting. The government's done a fairly good job of making sure everyone's gotten access to vaccines. Of course, not the ones who've just come, but, and I really think this should serve as a blueprint for better healthcare access for migrants. So clearly, if the government wants to do it, there's a, there's a way to do it and they can do it. <laughs> you know, it's about priorities. Uh, and I think they, they need to use this as a way to give better access to healthcare because migrants are not allowed the National Health Service, DSC. And so they have to use the emergency um, general hospitals and um, medical centers. And we're trying to hopefully cover this in our white paper, which is, which is forthcoming uh, in the third part of the series uh, next month. In terms of racism and interaction with authorities, uh, sadly, I'll say it's gotten worse here, uh, particularly because the demographic is changing. We see more African uh, asylum seekers. Uh, and then that is, 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 a, is a fault line here in that sense. And also, if you don't speak English well, so that, that, that has become more difficult. Let's not forget that the authorities are also more stressed. It's not just the, the migration department, the social services. It's, these guys are all struggling with the influx. They're dealing with, you know, giving out uh, 
uh, monthly payments and these kinds of things, and they just don't have the staff. So, so this is really stressing the authorities in some ways, and it's resulting in a lot, uh, backlash, which I think is totally unfair. Uh, but that's what the truth is. In terms of access in general, I think the COVID-19 access issues have been issued. People are, have been resolved. People are able to access more things, but the digital divide persists, right? We just had another bunch of rules come in as of two days ago in Cyprus about needing your, 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 your digital scan safe pass to enter transport and these kinds of things. And a lot of the newly arrived asylum seekers don't know that because one, they haven't got their vaccines. Even if they do, they don't have the app on their phone. So I actually saw a couple of cases where they were allowed to get on the bus. Uh, and not, you know, not getting on a bus on the last bus of the night in Nicosia means you're not going to get home in the night. You're going to have to sleep rough because, you know, Lepa Lavarania, wherever they live, is, is 10, 15 kilometers away. So it's, it's these kinds of things are still still um, burning and, and really need to be addressed uh, going forward. What's the situation in the north like, controlled by the Turkish Cypriot Communist? Again, interesting. I think uh, it's been very strict there uh, in the north. They've been far more... Uh, authoritarian about the response to COVID than, 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 than here in, in the Republic. Uh, and I know from, again, personal personal um, evidence of friends of mine and also our partners in Voice, um, you know, when, they, when they had COVID recently, they were given bracelets and they were tracked by the state, which is a whole new level of control. But I think this, the major issue there right now is with the, with the Turkish leader collapsing. Anyone who's been working there locally or students who've been working there to support themselves locally are in trouble. Uh, because the economy there is sinking in some ways, uh, and it's been very difficult for them to to, to survive. Uh, it's been a godsend for the people who are getting money from abroad. So anyone whose parents, students there, have sent money from abroad, it's been a benefit because the U.S. collapsed so much that they're getting more money in hand. So um, that's been the real status. I think it's the situation in you know the universities there are generally open. So unlike a year ago when people were all stuck at home, that's definitely improved. The numbers are relatively the same in terms of COVID. Um, and to be entirely honest, uh, Voice, our partner in the North, is actually doing a, a massive 1,000-person survey um, in the next couple of months about the North and really bringing out the, the migrant student experience in the North. So I think that will tell us a lot more uh, going forward and also deserving, hopefully, of its own podcast issue in terms of what comes out there. What about the big picture, geopolitical developments that have affected migration flows? Can you tell us something about this? Again, I mean, this is a tough one. I think Cyprus is, in its, you know, Cyprus is, is stuck in the middle of a lot of, a lot of different uh, dynamics. Uh, and it's really, in some ways, uh, as a small country, small island country, doesn't have much of a role to play in controlling those dynamics. So it can only react to those dynamics. Uh, I think the major stories here um, is like what is going to happen in the north and um, in Turkey with the financial crisis. Is that going to really result in a spillover of people leaving? The north, more people coming to the south, I think that could be a major issue going forward. We don't know. We know the Turkish has you know, basically collapsed 40-50% in the last year. Lebanon is always, uh, I hate to say this, a tinder tag. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, things look a little more stable now than they did over the summer when they had power cuts and the uh, economic crisis there was really at its peak. Other potential sort of areas, regional issues. I think the, the, the broader question is, you know, what is what is the longer geopolitical story of the, of the sort of narrative between Turkey and the EU? Uh, and, you know, does how does Cyprus fit into that and what's going to happen there? And so that's something to sort of keep keep in mind, wait and watch. Uh, and then finally, I think what we're interested to know is how is the situation in Ethiopia and Tigray going to play out here? I mean, this is not far-fetched, um, simply because two two reasons. One, it's still very easy to get into the north if you're a student. 
Um, and we have a lot of asylum seekers coming into Europe right now from Congo. And in fact, that's the demographic change I forgot to talk about is that uh, the dynamics change. So Congo has actually been one of the largest uh, sources of asylum seekers in the last six months. So people flying in from, from Congo, particularly from Cuba and Goma and the sort of northeastern uh, regions, which have been, you know, in strife for many, many years, uh, leaving, coming to the north to study in one of these many colleges there, um, paying the minimum fees. And then, you know, once they're there, they've done their quarantine, uh, you know, there for a couple of weeks, get hold of a, of a, of a smuggler, get up them across the border, across the line, and then come uh, come here. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if something emerges out of that, that angle, that axis. And also, I mean, Ethiopia is pretty close to Egypt. Egypt is not far from Cyprus in the sense that we are we are in that neighborhood. So that that could be a major issue if it does if it does spill out and, and, and it's sort of this green line northern story uh, continues to exist. And I guess yeah, that also like is my prediction for for twenty twenty two in that sense. Um, we we really need to wait and watch. We don't know what's going to happen. These are particular flashpoints. Then this is questions I guess I have for you, but which sort of allow me then to change the topic and sort of move to you. Is like part of my predictions for 2022 is that we're seeing this regularization of, of pushbacks, the militarization of migration, the drones, these kinds of things, which are now becoming official policy on behalf of the Republic of Cyprus. And then the question of the green line, you know, is that that's always we've been told to say it's, ne- it's never a border. But the fact that they're building fences to keep migrants out and you know police it with drones, doesn't it then just make it a border? That they are separating their, 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 the country, ostensibly to keep out migrants and asylum seekers, but also in some ways tying back into the to the conflict sector. Well, I think they're caught in a dilemma here, aren't they? I mean, just to, to explain the background, Cyprus is divided since 1974 when a Greek coup was answered by a Turkish invasion. Um, ethnically cleansing the north, and ever since the Turkish separate communities living in a non-declared state, the Turkish Republic, not recognized, a declared state, but a not recognized state, the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, and thinks the Green Line is a border. And the Greek Cypriots are living in the Republic of Cyprus, which is internationally recognized, and thinks the Green Line is not a border, and has been a pains in practices not to treat it as a border. And now the migration crisis came in, and as we said earlier, there, there was already a significant number of people coming from the north, many with fake student visas. So there's a real problem there for the Republic. Uh, the Greek separate government feels that this is not just a migration and humanitarian problem, but the political dimensions to it and demographic dimensions to it. They think we're a small island. We're roughly a million people. If you have 10,000, 15,000 people coming a year, within a couple of years, 10, 15, 20% of the population, if they're not leaving the island, will form a migrant population. So, so there are legitimate fears and concerns there. And then they get blurred with the rise of a right-wing populist party alum that scores points of, on, on xenophobia. And uh, populist governments who also understand that it's easy to score points by making the migrant issue a political issue. And it got blurred with the Cyprus problem when Greek separate politicians accused Turkey of being basically the kind of mastermind behind these migration flows and use this to inflict political pain and explicitly to change the demographic structures in the South, which then means the anti-migration debate got securitized and completely meshed with the Cyprus problem. And now they're responding by treating the green line as something that needs to be closely monitored in the same way you would monitor a border. Well, of course, officially and and legally will be avoid saying it is a border and treating it as a border. And I, I don't think there's an easy way out 
for the government, but bottom line, they will not be able to stem the migration flow. They will just be able to channel it to certain entrance points into the Republic. But there's a real problem there. And that brings us to the much wider issue of the countries in the European South who are exposed to the brand of migration flows where people, for very understandable reasons, try to escape, but then end up basically in Italy, Greece, and Cyprus, and the European Union largely leaves those three countries alone to deal with it. So as long as there's no movement of the migrants off the island, that they just keep coming here and increasing in numbers, you create a pressure situation for the government, but also for significant segments of the society, the living standards of the migrants. It becomes a lose-lose situation with a lot of explosive potential meshed with the Cyprus problem. So we are in a really bad fix here, and this bad fix is likely to continue. Yeah, and that's a really interesting point, because I think the difference between Greece and Italy is that they're Schengen. And for many, many years, Greece and Italy just processed everyone and turned the blind eye and let them go to Germany and Sweden, wherever they wanted to go. But the migrants themselves don't realize that Cyprus is not Schengen. And that they're quite literally, once they cross that green line, trapped in an island. Like this is an island prison for them. They can't get out. They're, they're, their documents will not be available, even if they're granted status for another two or three years. So, so this is very interesting. But the question then comes, you know, we, we talk about Turkey, and I, I, and I, I personally don't think Turkey needs to, to militarize and, and sort of use migrants as, as weapons in Cyprus, simply because if it wants to do that, it can do that in Greece and do that in Bulgaria and have much more of an impact. Uh, but because, you know, they can, it can force them into Schengen. But apart from changing the status quo on the tight Cyprus issue, they're not forcing the migrants to Cyprus anyway because they're getting stuck here. So what the, that, that sort of knock-on effect is is is, is not felt. So what is your thought on, on the Turkish sort of the, the, the Turkish use of weaponizing migrants as this? We saw it happen in Belarus and Poland. Uh, it's it's dis, it's disturbing. But do you think that's applicable here? It's a bit hard to tell because a lot of these migrants come on transit flights via Turkey, where Turkey, as far as I understand, in terms of international aviation rules, wouldn't have been even able to stop somebody who embarked on a plane to somewhere else to stop them. So there's a legal aspect to it. There, of course, the, the counter-argument to what just said, that they're not pushing Greece, why push Cyprus, is that we have at the moment different dimensions as far as regional conflicts and cooperation are concerned. Turkey, after a very aggressive, even gunboat diplomacy-like foreign policy period, has now started mending fences and started rapprochement with all actors, actors of the region but one. And that's the Greek separate dominated Republic of Cyprus, yeah, which... And then we have an escalation dimension because we said how much this is blurred and intermingled with the Cyprus problem. And Turkey responds very much to Greek Cypriot attempts to exploit oil and gas off their coast and act unilaterally, excluding the Turkish Cypriots in Turkey and what they believe is their rights. And they've started on a policy of inflicting pain on the Greek Cypriots by opening up Varosha, by drilling and doing seismic services in the exclusive economic zone claimed by the Republic of Cyprus. And in that perception, if you want to believe this, of course, the migration is another tool to inflict pain on the Republic of Cyprus and make them pay for political moves related to the Cyprus problem. So without having evidence that there's a policy behind it, mm. um, I don't think Turkey is too sad about the developments at the moment. Yes. But the question is to what extent there's an active policy behind it. To this, there's no evidence there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy enough for them to turn a blind eye, to turn a blind eye to the... You know, the, the fact that we have these dodgy colleges and we have them on both sides of the island for many, many years, they've only just sorted them out in the Republic because, you know, they've just changed the rules in the last couple of years where they actually need to pay 
tuition fees actually show up for classes and these kinds of things. This is a long-term, long-running scam in some ways. So it's, it's just been sorted out. And I think you're right. It's easy for Turkey to just turn a blind eye and facilitate the flights, uh, in a sense, by letting them fly without stopping them. And then once they're here, it becomes much easier uh, to not weaponize them, but just let them across and create a, a, an issue. Just, just to add one, I mean, there's also a difference in the dodginess of the colleges. I fully agree that they're both dodgy. But an aspect of the dodginess of the colleges and universities in the north is they promote that they study in Europe. And then they, when, they, when they land on the island, they find out the hard way that they might be in European territory, but not really in, in territory which effectively is part of the European Union. And that creates additional pressure for them to go south and enter the real European Union territory. That's something that comes via the south, which was a significant number in the past. Of course, they have this shortcut. So there's a difference also caused by the Cyprus problem in the way that the dodgy colleges and universities contribute to the migration flow. Interesting. But I guess my last question to you is, we have a presidential election coming up uh, in the next year or so. A very interesting moves within the, the, the centre-right PC party internally. But we've also seen a very hardline stance develop um, from, from the politicians, particularly Interior Minister uh, Nikos Nouris. Uh, it's, it's changing. I mean, for many years, I think Cypriots uh, turned a blind eye. They didn't care. They were happy for the cheap labor. And they were kind of okay with migration. I think in the last year, we've really seen a hardening of, of stance by politicians, which has now resulted in, in society themselves uh, turning against migrants. How bad or how, how, how much worse do you think it's going to get with this new election coming up? How much will migration be a plank for the election? That, you know, are we going to see a pivot uh, for that? And what do you think the impact is going to be on society? Are we now coming to a stage where secret uh, uh, society is now polarized uh, to the right against migrants? And this is how it's going to look like in the next couple of years? But there's a real danger there. Because I said we have a mixture of a real problem and a blurring and securitization of the migrant problem in the context of the Cyprus problem. So it's not just a normal migrant crisis. It's Turkey changing the demographics on the island via the migrants. And this, this narrative will dominate uh, the next years by presidential candidates and will be very hard to argue against it. So you have this, this, this push towards populist xenophobia and a, and a certain conceptualization of migrants as a security threat and change of the demographics. So that, that the humanitarian aspects of this will get more and more lost in such a discourse and that politicians will compete with each other, in particular on the right or on the conservative, to be the tougher guys dealing with that problem because it's a problem and because it's related to what Turkey's evil activities on the island are concerned in the narrative of the politician, I don't expect a decrease in the rhetoric. It will play a prominent role. It will resonate with people. And those parties who might be more open to foreigners, the people of the parties on the political left who are more welcoming, will be in their defense to explain why how this welcoming culture uh, is then contributing to an evil Turkish agenda and to a real problem where Cyprus is left alone by the European Union in the narrative here. So as I said, the mixture of a real problem and a conceptualization within the Cyprus problem, that's a bad fix. And it doesn't bode well for, for, the, for the treatment and the atmosphere on the island towards migrants. Cypriots are very peaceful people. They're, they're, they're passive racists. They usually don't attack. They don't beat up. It's in everyday life. But this is a very peaceful island. So xenophobia, has, xenophobia is never nice, but it's more harmless here than in other countries where people get beaten up and, and there's severe damage to their health. But that the atmosphere will turn against them, mm-hmm. that hostility increases and the likelihood of unfortunate incidents increases is, a, is, an, is an inevitable side effect of these two dynamics. Especially, especially when the demographic is changing and we are getting more asylum seekers from Africa. 
Um, and, it, and it seems like, a, um, you know, unless there's a, some sort of arrangement reached uh, informally with the North about this, I, I don't see the stopping. I think we're going to have more and more West Africans um, come, particularly we've seen Congo, we've seen Gambia, we've seen that sort of entire South, uh, Central West Africa belt. And a lot of people have been told that this is the only way into Europe right now. So I think this is also an issue. Yeah, but this is the oddity. That was not the case. Yeah. Yeah, the oddity was in 2015 when everybody was fleeing Syria and other regions, they avoided Cyprus exactly because it was so hard to get from here further into Europe. Yeah, And now the situation has become so desperate that wherever the loopholes are closed, uh, you go to the places where you can still get in. And now Cyprus has become one of those places where you can still go to and it's part of the European Union. And this is exactly the dilemma we're in. So they will have to try to close it. But because of the Cyprus problem, and if Turkey and the Turkish Cypriots don't want to help in that aspect and then maybe be confronted with the problem on their side, we're going to see more of this and higher numbers of migrants. To close the disaster. Dis- I think I answered that. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. And we just do a stay tuned. Maybe we'll be out. This is our interview. Yeah. And then stay tuned for yeah. stay tuned for another series of podcasts coming out next year. And- exactly. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you so much, Richard. That was, as always, a pleasure, as it was a pleasure collaborating with you and Project Phoenix on this migrant series, on the reports, and we intend to continue. So stay tuned, follow this podcast series. Thank you very much for listening. You can get it on both our websites, fascypress.org, and Richard will tell you in a second the address of Project Phoenix. This is the end of the year. I wish you, in case you I wish you all the best for 2022. Merry Christmas will be belated by the time we release this. Probably Christmas is over. But yeah, all the best to you, listeners. Thank you very much, Richard. A few final words from you. Thank you, Hubert. Yeah, you can also find the website, on uh, the podcast on our Facebook page, Project Phoenix, or on our Instagram page. Uh, and we also look forward to coming back to you next year with uh, some more stories from the ground, actually talking to more migrants uh, across the island and, and finding out a little bit more about migration in the Eastern Mediterranean and Cyprus. Mm-hmm.